Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. And last week, if you were here, or maybe you were in one of our collectives last week, you, you felt the intensity of a series on forgiveness. And so I want to give you a heads up that today is going to be intense as well, because forgiveness is a heavy topic. Because in order to forgive, you have to acknowledge the pain and hurt that someone else has caused in your life. But I know that as we were talking last week and as we were sharing about forgiveness, a lot of you were thinking and wondering, how do I get out of this? You were wondering, is there a way out? Is there a way that I don't have to forgive? You were looking for a loophole. Because if we're being honest, we all really love loopholes. We love a good loophole. In 1999, David Phillips was sitting at his home eating his microwave dinner made by Healthy Choice when he saw that they were running a promotion. It explained that if you collected 10 UPC codes and sent them in, Healthy Choice would give you 1,000 frequent flyer miles. And so David thought, that's a great deal. And in fact, he did some math and figured out it's an incredible deal, especially if he bought the cheapest thing that they sold, which was pudding, and at that time cost 25 cents. So David hopped in his van and went to the local big box store, I think Costco, and bought every single Healthy Choice pudding pack that they had. He threw the packs in his van and went home, and then proceeded to visit every similar type of store in the Sacramento area and bought every Healthy Choice pudding pack in the county. He then called the managers of these stores and ordered six more pallets of pudding. When he went to go pick them up, he could tell that the managers were starting to get a little bit nervous, a little bit skeptical of him, so he told them that he was stocking up for Y2K. In the end, he purchased 12,150 cups of pudding. When Phillips mailed in the UPC codes to Healthy Choice, they originally didn't honor their own promotion. They felt like he broke the rules. But in reality, he'd found a loophole. So in the end, they ended up giving him the prize, and he had earned 1.25 million frequent flyer miles. Not only that, he donated all the pudding to the Salvation Army, but the stipulation was that they had to pull the UPC codes for him. And they did. On top of that, he was given an $800 tax deduction for his donation. So for around $2,000, David Phillips has flown to over 43 countries. He's brought family and friends and coworkers on dream trips, all because he found a loophole and took advantage of it. You know, we love a good loophole. A loophole is an ambiguity or an inadequacy in a set of laws or rules. And historically, it's actually a medieval term. A loophole is a slit at the top of a castle that archers would shoot arrows through. So a loophole became a term for something that seems impenetrable, but there's indeed a way to get through it. And I know last week as I was talking about forgiveness, and actually not even talking about forgiveness, just sharing with you all what the Bible says about forgiveness, a lot of you were hoping there's a loophole. You're looking for ambiguity or inadequacy. You're looking for a way out. You're playing the what about game. You're sitting there with your arms crossed and you're thinking, well, what about this? Well, what about that scenario? What about this friendship that left me feeling broken? What about this family relationship that left me with scars? What about this event of my life that left me feeling pain? And a lot of you are thinking you don't know 
what I'm going through. And you're sitting there and you're hoping that forgiveness doesn't really apply to you in your situation. So the challenge today I want to issue is the same as last week. If you will just listen with an open heart and an open mind, I think God wants to do something in you today. He wants you to move toward life to the fullest, to living freely and lightly just like he promised. And remember, same as last week and same as next week, I'm not going to tell you to forgive anyone. I'm just going to tell you what Jesus says, and then you get to go home and wrestle with it. We're going to start by reading an interaction between Peter and Jesus. Peter is one of Jesus' closest friends. Uh, in fact, a lot of people believe that they were best friends. They were as close as they could be. And Peter was a follower of Jesus. And Jesus spent a lot of time teaching his followers. And there's this teaching in Matthew 18 where Peter actually comes up to him and asks him about forgiveness. And so in Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, this is what happens. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? When Peter asks this question, he's actually attempting to be generous in terms of forgiveness. Seven was thought of being this complete number. We see that number pop up a ton in Scripture, and so people believe that that meant completion. And this number was actually higher than the expectation during that time. In the Jewish faith, rabbis taught that you would forgive three times. That three times was the max. And this was an assumption that was made because of different stories in the Old Testament where God had forgiven his people three times. And so Peter, who was Jewish, grew up, grew up hearing three times is the max. Three times, that's what you do, that's what scripture says, which is an assumption, it's not actually true. So when Peter comes up and says, is it seven times? He's clearly trying to be a little bit generous. He's trying to say, hey, I, I'm better than what was taught. I, I've learned a little bit and this is what I think that number is. But clearly, Peter thought that just this idea of forgiveness was too vague. He wanted it to be quantified. He wanted a number. Is it seven times? And the reality is Peter is looking for a loophole. He's asking Jesus, when can I stop forgiving someone who has hurt me? When can I feel like I've completed the task of forgiveness? When am I done with this? But Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And so Jesus responds, not seven, but 77. And some translations of the Bible actually say 70 times seven. But either way, this isn't about the number, it's hyperbole. And Jesus is saying there are no limits to the number of times that you're supposed to forgive because there are no loopholes in forgiveness. And sometimes in your life, that 77 feels like it comes daily. Jesus actually says in Luke 17 that even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And again, it's not about that number. It's saying if they continue to do things and they continue to say, will you forgive me? You say yes. Sometimes that 77 is spread out throughout your life because new seasons bring new reasons to forgive. Sometimes that 77 is the same person over and over and over and over again because you wake up every day with a new frustration and a new pain that you need to forgive. Jesus teaches forgiveness is ongoing. It doesn't max out. There isn't this special number that once you hit it, you're good to go and you can move on. But one thing that's very important to know is that when Jesus says to forgive 77 times, he isn't encouraging Peter to put himself in an unhealthy situation. 
Scripture teaches us to be wise, to not be foolish, to not put ourselves in harmful situations. And so while there are no loopholes in forgiveness, there should be wisdom. Because there are a lot of things that Jesus isn't saying when he encourages forgiveness. And there are a lot of things that forgiveness doesn't mean. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Somewhere along the line, people have told us that we're supposed to forgive and forget, right? This is one of the dumbest phrases I've ever heard. Forgive and forget, forgive and forget. And if you've been given that advice, that's bad advice. Jesus doesn't ask us to forgive and forget. It's impossible to forget the pain your husband caused when you come home to an empty house. It's impossible to forget the anger you feel as you sit at home looking for a job because your boss cheated you and lied to you. It's impossible to forget the sorrow you feel as you sit in an empty room because someone's selfishness took away your child because of drunk driving or just plain evil. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. It means taking a step every day toward release. It means when you feel that pain and when you feel that anger and when you feel that sorrow, you forgive again. Now, I know some of you who grew up in the church are thinking about the verses in Hebrews where the author says that God will remember our sin no more, right? That's, that's most of the time where Christians got that from, right? Like, well, God forgave and he forgets, so therefore we need to do the same thing. But what the scripture is actually saying, again, is that it's hyperbole. God isn't actually saying that he forgets. God remembers everything. He's omniscient. It means that when he forgives you, he's going to treat you in a way as if you had never sinned. That when you seek out forgiveness from God, he's going to look at you as if you are perfect. And this is in stark contrast to how sins were atoned for before Jesus. Before Jesus, you had to offer a sacrifice every year for forgiveness. This was a yearly memorial to all the ways that you fell short. But when God sent Jesus, that was no longer a requirement. And Jesus sent him, and when God sent him to die, to replace our sins, to take that burden for us, we no longer have to have this yearly moment of falling short, this yearly moment of sin. Because when we choose to follow Jesus and we accept grace and forgiveness from him, Jesus pays that debt, and he looks at us as if we are pure and blameless. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see sin from our past anymore because of Jesus. Forgiveness doesn't mean there is a restoration of trust. A lot of times when we talk to people about forgiveness, we put the expectation out there that when you forgive, everything has to go back to normal, that you keep moving forward in your life with the person that caused you pain. But you can forgive someone without trusting them, without letting them back in your life, without giving them the opportunity to hurt you again. You can trust them again, but that's your choice. It's not an obligation. I've mentioned this before. I worked in a hotel for a few years when we lived in Tennessee. And one time I caught one of my employees stealing food from the rooms of guests. And so we had a conversation and he apologized. I forgave him and we moved forward. But then he started stealing food from guests again. Another conversation, another apology, another round of forgiveness. When we caught him for a third time, I took his key card away because I couldn't trust him. I no longer gave him the opportunity to get into rooms and steal things from guests. I still forgave him, but I stopped giving him opportunities to lie and break my trust. Forgiveness doesn't mean endorsing their behavior. This one's pretty simple. It's called evil for a reason. When you forgive someone, it doesn't mean you think what they did is right. Offering forgiveness doesn't mean you aren't hurt. You have to give yourself time to process forgiveness. People keep asking, is it right away? 
Do I have to do this right now? I, I'm in so much pain. And forgiveness doesn't mean you can't be hurt. It doesn't mean you can't feel that pain. The Bible said those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. It's this idea of patience. Sometimes it takes time. There's a Christian counselor named Les Parrott. He says that he's seen Christians forgive quickly out of emotion, and they become trigger-happy forgivers in order to avoid pain. But he says if they don't address the real issue or the real pain, it will surface in unhealthy ways later. Sometimes you forgive, and that doesn't mean you ignore that you are hurt. Forgiveness doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. You can forgive someone without giving them emotional control over you. Christians tend to over-spiritualize forgiveness, and they just ignore wisdom. They just throw it out the window. You might need to forgive your boyfriend who led you into sexual sin, and now that's jacking up your marriage. But it isn't right, and it isn't your place to reconnect on Facebook. You have to have boundaries. Forgiveness doesn't mean there aren't consequences. If a woman discovers that her fiancé has cheated, she should forgive, but it's probably unwise to get married. A person attempts murder, there can be forgiveness, but it's probably still wise to press charges. When Scripture teaches us about forgiveness, it challenges us to release. It challenges us to let go. But that doesn't mean that we need to be dumb about it. There are no loopholes. There aren't any. There's nothing in Scripture that will say, hey, you forgive for all these things except for this one thing that hurt you. There are no loopholes, but there is wisdom. So the question is, and the thing that we have to wrestle with, if there are no loopholes and we are all called to forgive, what does forgiveness look like? If we no longer have the excuses, if we no longer have the reasons why we're not going to do it, right? If we know what Scripture says, we know the way Jesus led, and we know there's nothing that should stop us from forgiving, what do we do? Last week, one of the main verses that we read was Romans 12, verse 17. And this is what it says. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. This means don't take revenge. Job 31 says, I have never sinned by asking for revenge. Leviticus 19.18 says, do not seek revenge, but love your neighbor as yourself. You know, forgiveness is releasing your right to retaliate. Forgiveness is releasing your hope for a better past. And those are both good things. But what does that look like in our own lives? How do we do that? How do we release? Well, Romans continues and actually tells us what we're going to do and actually encourage us to live a different type of life. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The author is saying, if you have a say in it, if you have control of it, if you play a part in it, live at peace. A lot of you have situations in your life where you need to forgive, you need to drop the F-bomb, where you need to let go, where you need to forgive. And you keep on waiting for the other person to come around and show remorse. You're waiting for the other person to come around and say that they're sorry. You're waiting for the other person to show and realize that they hurt you. Because you don't believe that you can forgive until you have that. But this teaches us it doesn't work that way. We talked about this last week. Most of the people that have already hurt you have moved on. They're in another relationship. They're at another job. They don't wake up every day feeling the same pain that you do. And release means not letting them continue to control our emotions and our lives and our decisions. 
And so when Romans says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace, you have the choice to forgive. You have to make the choice to trust God. You have to make the choice to take the steps toward living freely and lightly. You have to choose to bring peace into those broken relationships. And for most of you, you have that control. You have that ability. You have that opportunity. But instead of taking that step, instead of taking that action, instead of living in that way, you say, they're in control of my life and therefore I can't do anything about it. As long as it depends on you, live at peace. It continues, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Now it's important to understand this. When it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to these actions, it comes to everything that we're talking about, when someone causes pain, they're not off the hook. There is justice, but that justice comes from God. And is it fair that you don't get to execute justice in your own life? Is it fair that you have to trust God too? The answer is yes, because if we executed justice, we would screw it all up. Any time in your life when you sense injustice, you want God to exist and be the God of justice. When you were hurt as a child, when people manipulated you in cruel ways, when you see people stuck in systemic poverty because of when and where they were born, you sense an injustice, and that burden is placed on you by God. That is a longing in you for God's will to be done. That's why people who follow Jesus will pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is why people who follow Jesus look forward to the unknown day when Jesus will return to judge the world. People who don't follow Jesus want you to think that this day is a day where God coldly and indifferently casts people into hell for no good reason. But scripture teaches us that's actually a day when Jesus comes back and sets everything right. It's a day when there will be no more pain. It's a day when there will be no more sorrow. And the reason why that happens is because God's justice will rule. This is why Jesus' death on a cross is essential, because on that day, justice was exacted. God put on Jesus all of the sins of the world, and so if you trust him and you put your faith in him, his righteousness is transferred to you. He paid the penalty that we deserved, and that's why if you trust him with your life, you can know, not wish, you can know that you've been forgiven, and this is actually a huge difference between Christianity and Islam. In Islam, you can never have assurance that you're in right standing with God. Islamic scholars actually laugh at the idea that you can stand before a great God and know for sure that you can be welcomed into eternity. And if God never came to earth, I would agree with that. But God put on flesh and lived among us. He died on a cross in our place. He did that so that we can know, not wish, not just hope, so that we can know that we have right standing with God. And it's an offer. If you give your life to Jesus, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you turn away from your old life, and you take that tangible step of baptism, forgiveness is given. But we learn that forgiveness only comes to those who actually put their faith in Jesus. The cross is ultimately the answer to all the questions that we have about forgiveness. Because the cross shows us that God brings justice to all things. That's why God doesn't just say to you and your sin, come here, let's pretend it never happened. I'll let you in, don't worry about it, it's okay. The reality is there needed to be justice, justice had to happen. So on the cross, God executes justice. 
And in doing so, he gives grace. And that's forgiveness that isn't deserved. Because he wants his people and he wants everybody to live freely and lightly. He wants us to be released from the evil that we've done in our lives. And that's the best way that I can sum up Jesus and why he matters. Because when someone I love gets cancer, or a middle schooler I care about gets teased, or I have another friend who has been destroyed by someone in their life, I want God's justice to prevail. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, Scripture teaches us that if you've trusted him, if you've experienced that freedom, if you've been given such a great gift of forgiveness that when you encounter evil, you don't seek revenge, you don't pursue bad things, you don't try to find a loophole, you forgive. And then you respond with good. Romans continues, starting verse 20, it says, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus says to love your enemies. He said, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the Christian's response to evil. It's to do good. And so for some of you right now, and during the series, and last week and next week, you're going to wrestle with there are people in your life that you need to forgive. And it's not just about saying, I forgive. It's about doing good. So who in your life do you need to forgive? Seriously think about it. Who in your life do you need to forgive? When I start writing sermon series, I do a lot of research. I'll read books, I'll listen to podcasts, I'll check out blogs. And as I was doing my research on forgiveness, there was one story that kept popping up. It was mentioned by one of my favorite preachers. My best friend actually shared the story with me. And so I decided that I would check it out. And it's a story of a woman named Joyce Meyer. Now, some of you know Joyce Meyer because she's a, telev- she's a televangelist. And to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of those types of preacher or that version of church, that prosperity gospel, right? You give more money and good things happen to you. It's not real. It's a bad version of church. So I don't necessarily love the style of church that she does. But... When I read her story and I found out what she had gone through, I felt like I needed to share it. And so while I don't totally agree with her and what she does, I still felt like it was best to share a story with you all. So Joyce Meyer was born in 1947. She grew up her entire life with her biological parents. When she was very young, her biological father started molesting her, which eventually turned into full-on rape. Before turning 18, her father had raped her over 200 times. At one point, she reached out to her mom and asked for help, but her mom didn't believe her. So when Joyce turned 18, she left home. Now, growing up, when she was a child, Joyce went to church, and she even decided to follow Jesus when she was nine. But like most of us who experience hurt at the hands of people that we love, she could not figure out how her dad's faith led to his actions. And so she walked away from church and Jesus. Eventually, after she left home, she got married. But after a messy divorce where her husband cheated on her and forced her to commit fraud, she hit rock bottom. 
And she didn't know where to turn. She didn't know who to trust. Eventually, she ended up meeting her current husband. But after a few years, she realized she still was unhappy. And this was what led her to dig deeper into her faith. One afternoon, while reading, she was overwhelmed by what the Bible said about forgiveness. At that point, she was in her 30s, and she sat down with her father, and she actually told him that she forgave him. The problem was he didn't show any remorse. He didn't apologize. In fact, in the book that Joyce writes, she said that he responded as if he never did anything wrong. He just said, okay, and that was the end of their conversation. And even though that crushed her, and even though so badly she wanted her dad to respond in a way that showed that he was sorrow, that showed that there was remorse, she decided that she would move forward in forgiveness even though she didn't really feel like it. Years went by, and she thought she had forgiven her dad. She had moved on. She had a family. She had a career. Things were going well for her. But one day, when she was reading the book of Luke, she read that Jesus said, do good to others. And the first people that came into her mind were her parents. Now, at the time, she was comfortable with their situation. They lived over 200 miles away. Occasionally, they would talk on the phone or see each other, but it was only a couple times a year. They weren't really in each other's lives, and that's how she liked it. That's how she wanted it to be. But as she read this, she was talking to her husband, and she explained that she felt like God was telling her that she needed to do good when it came to her parents. And her husband said, if that's what God is telling you, that's what we're going to do. So she contacted her parents, and she said, I know you're getting older, and you don't have the best living conditions. I want to take care of you. She bought them a house and moved them within eight miles of where they were currently living. They had an old car, so she brought them a brand new car. They had furniture that was beat down, so she brought them new furniture, because God says, take good care. She started visiting them a few times a week to make sure they were okay, and they were being taken care of. Now, during this time, their relationship was still distant. It wasn't great. There wasn't trust. They had boundaries. She knew she could care for them without allowing them to hurt her again, and she did that for three years. At the end of those three years, it was Thanksgiving, and Joyce got a call from her mom. She said that her dad had been crying hysterically for three days and that he wanted to talk to Joyce. She asked, would you come over and talk to him? So Joyce and her husband Dave drove over to her parents' house. They walked in, and her dad was crying, and he said to Joyce, I did horrible things to you, I'm so sorry. Then he turned to her husband, Dave, and said, please forgive me. Anyone else in this situation would have treated me horribly because that's what I deserved. And Joyce said to her dad, I think it's time that we talk about Jesus. Are you ready to let him into your life? And 10 days later, after this moment, Joyce Meyer got to baptize her own father. She said over the next couple of years, she saw a new man, a man who was kind and humble and gentle. He ended up passing away before the book she wrote about this story. But she finished by saying that she knew her father was in heaven because she saw genuine repentance in a new man. That story is hard to hear because as we listen, and even as you read the book, you'll realize he doesn't deserve forgiveness. He didn't deserve the goodness that Joyce showed. We all know he deserved justice, and we believe he deserved pain. 
But Joyce recognized that showing grace and forgiveness was more about her releasing her right to retaliate. It was about her releasing her hope for a better past. It was about her releasing herself from the pain and burden that her father put on her. And because of that, she got to experience freedom. When it comes to forgiveness, there are no loopholes. If you are a follower of Jesus, forgiveness is in the foundation. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I said this last week, you should still forgive You should still release people from the pain that they have caused. And I guarantee you, even if you don't think Jesus is real, you will experience freedom. And some of you, you're facing a fork in the road. And you have to decide whether you're going to keep carrying the burden that someone else forced on you, or you're going to set it down and you're going to offer forgiveness. I wouldn't dare tell you what to do. I wouldn't dare tell you to move on. And I wouldn't dare tell you that your pain isn't real. I would only tell you to trust God and take that step toward forgiveness and release and goodness. Let's pray. God, thank you. Um, God, thank you that you challenge us to forgive. God, that you make it so there are no loopholes. God, because ultimately you know it is better that we forgive than harbor resentment, hold on to pain, hold on to anger, take revenge. But God, we just pray today as a group, we know forgiveness isn't easy, and a lot of us feel that burden. We know there are people in our life that we need to forgive, and we feel it. We feel it every day. We see it every day. We hear it every day. God, it's not easy. But I pray today as a group of people that we take a step toward forgiveness. God, that we do it with wisdom, that we do it in a way that we don't get hurt again, where there are boundaries, but God, ultimately, that we do it the right way by showing goodness to the people that hurt us. God, I pray that we're challenged by that. God, I pray that we're pushed to do that. God, ultimately, I'm thankful that you forgave us first and you give us that opportunity so we know what it looks like. God, that before we have to offer it to anyone else, you offered it to us. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.